Let's see. Is there something else I want to talk? Is that it? Okay, well, we're going to try to wrap up. We've been talking about reaching for higher ground for this is a month. I mean, this is the fourth week, and we're going to try to wrap it up this weekend and then surprise you next week what we're going to talk about, you know. Might be a surprise for me too, you know. But it's not going to be a surprise for God. You know, God's Word is awesome. I don't, I don't know if you read it very much or not, but it is a, a book that actually transforms men transforms women, transforms moms, dads, husbands, wives, children, families, transforms communities, transforms nations. It really does. When a man or woman begins to read this book and study this book and begin to take it to heart, you know, it brings about a radical transformation. So I, I can't encourage you enough to continue to read and study this awesome book that God has given us. And that's why we're doing Vacation Bible Adventure to get all these hundreds of kids excited about the Bible, God's Word. And it does lead us to higher ground. Um, how many of you have seen God at work in the past week? In your life, in, in anywhere, you know, but you've actually seen God on the move doing something, you know? And this is a valid question. We could ask each other every week, are we on the lookout? Because sometimes we don't see things because we're not looking for them. Well, the, the passage in the Bible is to give just a wee bit of a review. In Psalm 69, verse 32, it says, The humble will see their God at work and be glad. Because when God's at work, He's working everything together for good. He really is for those who love Him and are called to His purpose. And He says the humble, so that means the proud won't, really see God at work. Although he is at work, they won't see it, but it says the humble will see their God, their God at work, and they'll be glad. They'll be rejoicing because what God's doing. Psalms 25 verse 9, it says, He leads, talking about him, our almighty, he leads the humble, there again, humble, he leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his ways. And, you know, we studied this, I think, the very first week, is that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but he's teaching though, those ways and those thoughts to those who want to learn. And we've talked about it a couple of times, but before we totally leave this topic, I want to challenge you to really work hard to, to become labeled as a balcony person, okay? Where I, I can say, do you know so-and-so is a balcony person? Or you don't want to ever be named and labeled as basement person. Do you know what's so, so? Oh, basement person. You don't ever want to be labeled that. And you, you remember the concept here is a balcony person. Anytime you're around a balcony person, they're saying, hey, come on up here. Come on up here. The view is so much better up here. They're lifting you up. They're encouraging you. They're nudging you. Do you know what a basement person is? When you're around them, you can't wait to get away because they're just pulling you down. Hey, come on down here and look how dark and gloomy and how horrible what, the whole world and whole life, everything is really bad. Come on down here and see how bad it is. Oh, you got an ache in your shoulder? I know someone had an ache in their shoulder. They died the next day, you know? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A basement person is just sucking the life out of you, pulling you down. A balcony person is just filling you full of life, 
They're building you up. So I really want to encourage you, just as a human being, as well as a member of our church, as well as involved in Vacation Bible Adventure, become known as a balcony person, always filling people with an encouraging word, encouraging them, lifting them up. And you know something? It has absolutely nothing to do with what you're going through in your own life. Do you know that? This is the whole issue of faith, is just doing what God shows us to do, encouraging one another on a day-by-day basis moving forward. Well, it says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 24, it says, Hold the high ground with him at your side. Now, you know, uh, the high ground, we've talked about this before, but the high ground is really a military term. Now, just so y'all don't think that me and Susan's having problems. <laughs> These are my bags. We're building me a place to live over here somewhere. Nah, but the, uh, the high ground, you know what? It's kind of hard to gain high ground if you're carrying a bunch of stuff. You know what I mean? You know, climbing up in this little treehouse wasn't that big of a chore the other day when we were working on it, but carrying a bunch of stuff with you, it can get kind of difficult. And, and for you and I to gain the high ground, we have to become conscious of what we're carrying with us. Are we carrying stuff that is hindering us from getting closer to Almighty God? The high ground, the military term, it always gives you an advantage. High ground gives you an advantage. You can defend your position better from high ground. You can see better from high ground. You always have a great advantage, and usually the people who's got the high ground, they win the battle. They really do. So let's just think about that. Is there anything hindering you from gaining the high ground in your own life? You know, uh, I've seen this on several occasions. I actually took some pictures of it in action one time. And, uh, oh, around this time of the year, we've often seen a bunch of crows flying and chasing a hawk. And there might be a dozen or half a dozen crows. There's big old black crows chasing, diving down at the hawk. If he's in a tree, just darting at him, darting at him, you know, pecking at him, and the hawk would jump off of that branch. He begin to flap his wings and he'll begin to fly around. He gets over the tops of the trees, he gets a little bit higher and higher. The crows are kind of coming from every different direction. He, it's hard for him to protect himself because they're coming from all different directions and all. Now, he is a, a raptor. He's designed to catch rabbits and mice and stuff like that, snakes, and he eats them. But he cannot really fight against a half a dozen crows that are coming at him from every direction. They're trying to peck him in the head peck his eyes out, you know, and things like that. But they're just always against a hawk for some reason. And I've seen that several times. And it's just like, stand there in absolute amazement as all these big old blackbirds are attacking this hawk. And what I have noticed, I've never, ever seen a hawk fight them. I've seen him flap a little bit. He'll catch a little bit of a thermal. He'll just continue to fly around. He gets a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. A little bit higher, he starts getting a lot higher. And, and one or two of the crows are going like, hey, this is too high for me, man. I'm out of here. And you'll see them fly back down over to, you know, lower territory, like in a tree somewhere. And we've actually, Susan and I have actually watched this take place a couple of times. And you can continue to see it 
and see it and see it until the other crows, all maybe except one, are still after him. And then after a little while, the last one who's just tenacious, don't give up, he turns around and flies back in this direction. And the, and the hawk just continues to, he's caught these thermals, and he's just going up higher and higher. And on one occasion, actually, all these clouds were there. He just went through a crack in the clouds and went completely out of sight. Now, you know what? That, that hawk had the right idea. You don't just fight. You just gain some high ground. And what happens when you gain the high ground? Those problematic crows just leave on their own. And as you and I gain high ground in our relationship with Almighty, a lot of the things that harass you and bother you, you'll discover they'll just fall aside. But now what happens if you stop and try to fight? What happens if that hog just stands his ground and tries to fight all those crows? And you know what all them crows would attract if they started fighting? More crows. Because they're, ha, 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 you know, and, and they're just attracting everybody. But Hawk says, I ain't going to bother with this. I'm just going to gain altitude. And as you and I gain altitude in our relationship with Christ, you'll be amazed at lots of things that once bothered you. They, they seem very insignificant as you gain altitude in your relationship with the Almighty God. Interesting lessons we learn from animals. I discovered this years ago. I mean, I, I, I studied bears because I was going to go on a bear hunt. And I actually, I don't know, it was 20 years ago, went up to Canada on a bear hunt with my bow and arrow, and I brought a bear back with me as well. But I was studying about bears, and I found out that there are a lot of bears, when they go into hibernation, they don't survive springtime. And, and, and lots of times they have their little, you know, cubs along with them. Cubs don't survive the springtime either because they chose low ground to hibernate in. And when the spring thaw and the river rose, they weren't counting on that. And they chose too low a ground. And when the, the snows and the ices melted and the streams were swollen, their hibernation den was underwater. So let me encourage you on a spiritual level. Let, let's pursue the high ground. Let's pursue the high ground, even for a place of rest, the high ground in a relationship with Almighty God, and you'll discover the, the higher you go in your relationship with Him, a lot of the annoying things just kind of disappear and fall to the side. Okay. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 10. How, how many of y'all, whether you're talking financially or relationally or something, how many of you guys like to get on your feet? You know, it's like, well, man, I was knocked off my feet with that deal, but I'm back up on my feet again. You like the idea of being on your feet? Well, listen to what the Bible says right here. It says, get down on your knees. This is talking about humility. This was our lesson last week. Get down on your knees, it's talking about humility, before the Master. Get on your knees before Jesus Christ. And ain't nothing wrong if you want to pray to get on your knees at home. It's not... Anything, wherever you're at, if you want to get down and pray, just to show a humble posture before God, it's an honorable position to be in. It says, get down on your knees before the master. It's the only, everybody say the word only. 
it's the only way you'll get on your feet. Say, so, well, I don't get back up on my feet. Well, we humble ourselves before Almighty God. That's the only way the Bible says that we'll get back up on our feet again. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, It was so long ago that you were, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired. That means stuck. It wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You ever been stuck in a car or a truck or a tractor? You know, it's like, man, snow, you know? And it's not a good, fun thing when you're stuck. But it says here, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired, you were stuck in that old stagnant. And when you think of stagnant, there's not much life in a stagnant pool as far as something you want to drink. There might be some squiggly things moving around in there that you don't really want to drink. But stagnant means inactive. And we do not want to be inactive for God. We want to be men and women who are active, who, who, who are, are men and women of action. There's a book in the Bible in the New Testament called the book of uh, Acts. Some of the book of action. The Holy Spirit, you know, his work in the, the life of a believer. We become men and women of action, you see. And it says, it wasn't so long ago that you were mired in that old stagnant life of sin. You let the world, you, you let the world, y'all know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the world, the selfish, sinful world that's always trying to pull us off into some sinful something or another. He says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Now, the world in which we live right now, let me just throw something out here to you. The world in which we live right now, say, take all your guns away from you. It's the only time in my history that ISIS has been here on this soil here threatening to take everybody out of the picture, and our government works very, very hard in our world to take people's guns away because they're so concerned somebody's going to get hurt by them. On the other side, our government promotes and advocates us to kill millions of babies, the most innocent of our civilization, while still in the womb. So I'm just telling you something here. It's like, there's something's got to be wrong with that picture. I mean, God says his ways are higher than ours, but it, it, it ain't too complicated to figure out that we should protect our babies as well as everybody else. You know, that's just, I'm just, he says here in verse 2, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, and the world without God don't know about living. Their concept is, well, if it feels good, do it. But if you, it feels good and you do it, you might die. There's consequences to just doing things that feel good. He says, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. Now, would you choose a personal trainer to coach you into a better life and a, a better diet and a, an awesome exercise routine. If that person weighed 600 pounds, they smoke, they drank, they chewed, they used illegal drugs, and their idea of nutritious food was Snickers and ice cream and potato chips and a Diet Coke. Would you consider that a person that you would secure to be your personal trainer? 
Why not? Because if they ain't doing it for themselves, they sure ain't going to do it for you. Now, would you allow a financial advisor to, to work with your portfolio or your $10 that you got left in your pocket even, you know? Would you allow a financial advisor who was $2 million in debt, recently had been arrested and convicted of fraud and embezzlement, would you secure them to watch over your finances? No. I mean, that's pretty common sense, isn't it? What about if, if you said, you know what, me and my wife, we just want to enrich our marriage. We're going to get a marriage counselor. And then you find out this marriage counselor is on probation for the next three years because of anger issues. And he's on his 12th wife at this time. Was that the guy you want to advise you on your marriage? No. Well, let me read this verse again and see if it makes any more sense. Now, he says in verse 2 of Ephesians 2, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, the secular world, tell you how to live. Does that sound like a really good idea? Living, Jesus came to give life in all of its fullness. The devil came to kill, steal, and destroy. And the devil will trick people into thinking, oh, this is living, do this. And it really has to do with killing, stealing, and destroying. Well, anyhow, it says here, you let the world, which doesn't know the first thing about living, tell you how to live. You filled your lungs with polluted, what's that word? Unbelief. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to believe God? Something's going on in your life, and you wanted to believe God, and you wanted to pray, and you wanted to see a miracle, but you were just full of unbelief and fear and doubt? Now, let me say it this way. You were full of toxic waste because you took it in. Is it possible to take something into our life that squelches our faith? Absolutely it is. And he says here, you filled your lungs with polluted unbelief and then <sighs> exhaled what? Disobedience. If you're breathing in unbelief, I don't believe that, 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 I don't believe that. And all the stuff you're watching and reading, they don't believe that, they don't believe that, they don't believe that, uh, they don't believe that. And you're picking up, they don't believe that. Now, you don't believe that either. And so you're inhaling unbelief, and then you're, you know, acting out in your day-by-day -day life, disobedience. Because, see, you got to believe God to obey Him. If you don't believe Him, you surely will not obey Him. So I want to challenge you, don't be breathing in toxic waste. Don't be breathing in polluted unbelief that it says here in, in verse 2, you know, because breathing in unbelief and fear and anxiety and worry and doubt, breathing that stuff in causes us to exhale and to act out disobedience to God. Although God will show us which way to go, that'll be a great blessing, we'll disobey if we're just breathing in that which makes for Unbelief. He goes on to say in verse 3, we all did it, all of us doing what we felt like doing. We've all done it at some points in our life. We just did what we felt like doing when we felt like doing it. And all of us in the same boat. It's a wonder God didn't lose his temper and do away with a whole lot of us. But God is love. 
And God didn't lose his temper. And he's so merciful. And he's so full of grace. And he's kind. It says in verse 4, Instead, immense in mercy. And you know what mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Immense. Instead of, you know, wiping us out, doing away with us, verse 4 says, And instead, immense in mercy. And with an incredible love. He embraced us. He took, or took away, if you would, he took our sin-dead lives and made us alive in Christ. Jesus dove into the deep, darky waters of this world as you and I were drowning deep in the sin, and he rescued us, and he breathed living life oxygen into us and, and rescued and restored us. That's what Jesus did when he came to this earth. That's what he did to rescue you and me. Our lungs were full of toxic waste and we were drowning and he breathed faith into us where we begin to look at him and believe what he says in his word and falling in love with his book and you know falling in love with him and learning more and more about him through his book. He goes on to say here, he did all this on his own. This is the latter part of verse 5, with no help from us. Verse 6 says, then he picked us up and set us down in highest heaven, in company or in a relationship with Jesus, our Messiah. The King James Bible says that we are seated in heavenly places. Talking about high ground. Once you accept Christ, he comes into your life and you begin to believe in him you are positionally seated in heavenly places with him. And it, it changes things in your life. It really does. Jesus is above everything. Did you know that? He's above all. He really is. Now, I'm going to turn up. This thing right here is going really kind of loud. I'm just going to turn it down or break a wire or something. I don't know. Did that turn it off? It didn't? You got a knife? All right. Jesus is above all. He's above everything. Y'all hear one over there too? Gary, yeah. you want to see if you can turn that one off? You got a pocket knife? Just cut the wires on it. <laughs> Actually, you can probably push a button. You know, I appreciate it, brother. I just want to be quiet in here for just a couple moments. All right? Let's see if Gary can figure it out. Gary, honestly, is a lot smarter than I am. You know what? A hammer works really well. See, though, he has two thermostats over there. I only had one to work with. I have actually... Grabbed him off of the wall before? If somebody else knows how to do it, y'all welcome to come up and help us. Now, how would y'all feel if I had a trick thermostat over there for Gary? 
Well, I can tolerate if, if, yeah? Yeah, if you can turn it off, I would appreciate it. Because, there it goes. There it goes, it's good. See, he just procrastinated up there a little bit. Thank you, Gary, I appreciate it. That's quiet. Now, I've got something I want you to listen to, and I'm going to probably take a little flack for it, and, and that's okay. I took a risk of and, and I listened to a song this past week, and uh, let me see. It's called Above All. Because I was studying, I was thinking about Jesus as above all. You know, he's the highest ground possible. It's an awesome song. But in this song, there are several excerpts from the crucifixion seen in the Passion. So if you don't want to see something that's very graphic about what Jesus did for you, it's okay, just close your eyes and listen. The song is awesome. It'll touch you without looking if you don't want to see it. I want to just give you warnings. Is that, is that fair? Yeah. So if you don't want to see it, you don't have to see it, but listen to it. But if, you're, if you want to see, you know, just little glimpses of what Jesus actually went through for us as we're hearing the song about, you know, Jesus, you know, um, being above all, well, then you, you can watch it. But I just wanted to warn you if, if you had some concerns about that. All right, so nobody's going to be upset with me, right? Hey, he was warned, right? right. You know, only two or three people's answering me here. I'm kind of feeling <laughs> in trouble. Okay. Well, if you would, uh, just let God speak to your heart. We're talking about gaining higher ground, and I just want you to see the price that was paid for higher ground.
That's really tough to watch. But it's true. As tough as it is, Jesus paid for you and me to have higher ground. He paid for us to be victorious over the sin that has controlled us. He has purchased a ticket for you and I to live with him forever in heaven. And that's what he went through, and far worse. And he did it because he loved you. Sometimes we, we think, well, Jesus went to a cross, he died, went to heaven, and, and there's no feeling or emotion to it. But our Savior loved us, completely innocent and pure. And he said, I'm going to go and take this in your place so you can be forgiven. You can be forgiven completely and totally forgiven and innocent of all sins because Jesus took what you and I were supposed to have. And he's given us mercy and, and grace. It says in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, I'm just going to read through it here. It says, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, set us right with him, made us fit for him, we have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. 
Things is right between us and the Father because of what Jesus did. And that's not all. Verse 2 says, We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that He has already thrown open His doors to us. We find ourselves standing where He was, where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praises. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how trouble can, troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue, keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. See, faith arises. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Christ arrives right on time to make this happen. He didn't and doesn't wait for us to get ready. He presented himself for the sacrificial death when we were far too weak and rebellious to do anything to get ourselves ready. And even if we hadn't been so weak, we wouldn't have known what to do anyway. We can understand someone dying for a person worth dying for. And we can understand how someone good and noble could inspire us to selfless sacrifice. But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use whatever to him. While we were enemies of God, that's why when Jesus' his last words, almost his last words was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Verse 9 says, Now that we are set right with God by means of the sacrificial death to consummate blood sacrifice, there is no longer a question of being at odds with God in any way. When Jesus died for us in his blood was shed, we're forgiven. So, so that's already settled. But it goes on to say, verse 10, if when we were at our worst, enemies of God, we were put on friendly terms with God by the sacrificial death of his son, we were forgiven when Jesus died. Now that we're at our best, we're forgiven. Just think of how our lives will expand and deepen by means of his resurrection life. See, we were forgiven because of Jesus was our sacrifice. How much more powerful and life-changing, radical transformation is there, not just knowing he died for us, but that he rose again from the dead. And that resurrection power is available to us. Now that we have actually received, verse 11 says, now that we've actually received this amazing friendship with God, we are no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose, which just means like going down to CPS and getting a card to send to someone that you desperately love. Will a card's words ever be as authentic as your own? Roses are red. Violets are blue. How's the rest of that go? Sugar is sweet and so are you. It's like, it's okay, but it's not original. But see, 
our love for God, for what he did for us, we'll just tell him and we'll sing and we'll raise our hands and we'll cry and, and we'll express our devotion to him, something that's real and genuine, something that's authentic, you see. And he says in verse 11, now that we have actually received this amazing friendship with God, we're no longer content to simply say it in plotting prose. If roses are red, violets are blue, sugar sweet, and so are you, God. I mean, but we're talking about so much more than that. Not, not a purchase greeting card, but heart responding to his heart. And it don't have to rhyme. It don't have to be furtive. It's just like, I love you. Thank you for what you did for me. We sing. He goes on to say, it says, we sing and shout our praises to God through Jesus, the Messiah. Let me just read you the words of a song that I know you already know. But it goes, and when I think that God, his son, not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And then the refrain goes how? Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. <laughs> There's a lot of it that is awesome. And I would like to sing it all, but I want to share another passage with you right now. And you can go home and you can sing that to your heart's content. And I will too. But in Isaiah 53, listen what it says. Verse 3, it says, just talking about Jesus. Jesus was despised. We saw the end result of that. Jesus was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our back on him and we looked the other way. You know, it's very easy to turn your back and look the other way when you see something like that, especially when you can just, well, you know what? He must have did something really wrong. We turned our back on him and we looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Verse 4 says, Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him, Jesus, down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God a punishment for his own sins, not Jesus never sinned. He took the punishment for sin, all right, but he took the punishment for your sin and my sin and not his own. And when you think of what he went through, it causes us to see how bad sin really is, that someone as pure and innocent as he had to give his life to make payment. He goes on to say in verse 5, it says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And this was prophesied before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah 53. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. Have you ever strayed off course a little bit? All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. 
We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord, Almighty God the Father, laid on Him, Jesus, the sins of us all. Jesus willingly took the sins of us all. We were reptiles. We were straying sheep. And Jesus said, you know, I'm going to rescue them. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Now God has us where he wants us. And we are seated in a covenant relationship with him because of what Jesus has done for us. Now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace, God's unriches, uh, unmerited riches, his enabling power, all the blessings that we don't deserve. He says, now God has us where he wants us with all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us who are in Christ Jesus. Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Have you accepted what he did was payment for your sins and you believe him and you love him and you accept him as Savior and Lord and, and all? Verse 8 says, saving, <laughs> saving is all his idea and all his work. We didn't think up salvation. Uh, we didn't do anything to merit being forgiven. <laughs> Listen to what it says in Psalms 40, verse 2. It says, he brought, talking about God, he brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, to higher ground. He brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. We're talking about high ground. Now, now, let me digress here. In Psalms 27, verse 5, it says, When trouble comes, he will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. He's going to put me out of the devil's reach upon a high rock because of what Christ has done for me. Out of the reach of my enemy because of what Jesus has done, he's paid for my sins. Jesus came to rescue us, you see. And he goes on to say in verse 8, he says, My heart has heard you. And this is the psalmist talking to God, and it should be ours talking to God. My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. See, this is God's invitation for us to come and talk to him, which we, we often use the term prayer, but it's really more, a better way to say it is, is conversation with God. It's not just reciting something we saw in a, card we bought at CPS or something. It's, it's genuine conversation. And he says in verse 8, my heart has heard you, almighty God, say, come and, and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. I'm coming. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to thank you for all that you've done. But you can't leave this building thinking that Jesus is in torment or pain because three days later he rose from the dead. He came here for that reason. He knew what he was going to do because that's what it was going to take to rescue you and, and me. But let me, let me read you the Psalms 40 again. Verse 2, it says, He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay. I mean, we're talking about gaining higher ground, see. He brought me up also out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. And he established my goings. He directs me in the best pathway for my life. And verse 3 says, And he hath put a new song in my mouth. A new song. Instead of gloom and despair and agony on me, 
He's put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Instead of complaint and cursing, we need to be praising and blessing God for who he is and for what he's done for us and what he's about to do. Complaining will keep you in the lowest ground, which will be a pit. Complaining will keep us in the pit. Praising and, and thanksgiving lifts us up to higher ground. Positionally being seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly place. Complaining is toxic waste. Don't be breathing in or out toxic waste, you know. It's so important that we respond properly to what Almighty God has done and is doing in us. You remember years ago, I came across this article. I shared it with some of you, I'm sure, about this dog. Farmer had the dog, and the dog, old dog fell in a well. And the well was old, and they didn't ever use it no more. And the farmer said, you know what, I think I'm just going to cover the well up. And the dog is getting old. I'll just kill two birds with a stone, and I'll just bury the dog in the well. Well, he fell down there. Surely he's dead or, or almost. So the old farmer had a pile of dirt out there, and he just grabbed his shovel and started shoveling rocks and dirt down in that well and, and the dog, it hit the dog and the dog started howling. You know, it's like, what are you doing up there, you know? And uh, the fa farmer threw another shovel full of dirt and rocks down there and another and finally the, the dog, you know, he's getting covered up with rocks and dirt and he shook. You ever see a dog when he's wet, you know, he shook. So he just shook it all off and he just stepped up on top of it. Farmer kept on shoving. The dog kept shaking it off. Stepping up on top of it, shaking it off and stepping up on top of it, shaking it off and stepping up on top of it. And before you know it, the dog stepped right out of the well. Now what are you going to do? You cannot shake it off if you complain and gripe and, and cuss and fuss and bellyache. You, you, you're allowing it to bury you. But if, if you praise God who gave his life for you, when you, you, you have feelings to complain, but you praise him instead, you shake it off and get on top of it. Get on top of all that negative stuff. Don't let the negative stuff get on top of you. You shake it off and step up on top of it and, and praise the almighty God. He says here <clears throat> in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, Saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play a major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing, you know. Look, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Look what I did, you know. But we don't really have the ability to take any credit for it at all, you know. Pride will bind us to the lowest pit, you know. Humility gives us an advantage because humility is reaching for the high ground. And the high ground always gives us an advantage. He goes on here to say in verse 10, No, we neither make nor save ourselves. The strength that you have, the talents you have, the gifts that you have, they were all given to you by Almighty God. You didn't, you know, just originate anything you got. You really didn't. He goes on to say here, verse 10, No, we neither make nor save ourselves. God does both, the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. 
Don't go asking God, bless my plans, bless my work, bless my plans. You find out the work that Almighty God's doing and you get involved with him, you see. He says here, God does both, the making and the saving. He creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work. We had better be doing. And it's important we discover what it is that God put us here for. And it's important that we obey him and do what he created us for. Verse 11 says, But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea of any of this, didn't know the first thing about the way God works, hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel, but you can learn about them if you want. So you hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. But we, if we'll humble ourselves, we can learn about what God has done and what God's doing now and what he's up to in the future. Psalms 25 verse 9 says, He leads the humble, not the proud, but he leads the humble in doing right, teaching them his ways. And going back over there, <clears throat> Ephesians 2 13, it says, Now because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. You were out of the loop. You didn't know what was going on, but because of what Christ did for us, you are in on everything. Listen to what he says in 1 John 3, 22. We're able to stretch our hands out and receive what we asked for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. When you're doing what God says and what pleases him, you can ask and your prayers are going to be answered. He said we were going to be in on everything. And then he tells us, you know, we must have the attitude that Jesus had. In Philippians 2, verse 5, and it says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. He humbled himself in obedience to God. That's why Jesus went to the cross. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. And he gave him the name above all other names. Now, Jesus went to the cross. Now, what does he ask of you and me? Listen to what he says, and we're just about to close. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, it says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. To deny himself means to die to his own selfishness. He says, let him deny himself and, and, and take up his cross annually, daily, and follow me. So when you see in the Bible, he says, take up your cross and follow me. When you take up the cross, it means I'm willing today to deny myself I'm willing to die to my own selfishness. I'm willing to live my life for Jesus. Because, see, that takes me to the higher ground. What's preventing you from gaining higher ground? You know, what, what do you got in these suitcases? You know? Well, I can tell you one of the things that we got in there. Ugh. 
stuff that will entangle you. And many people right now are going through life like this. What kind of weight are you dragging along with you? You want to get higher ground? And there's people always grabbing your weight. Do you see that? <laughs> Man, you know what? That's a miracle I got through there. I wanted to go up there. But I could get hurt trying to drag this stuff up there. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> now, does that look refreshing? My question is, honest to goodness now, what are you dragging through life that Jesus died on the cross so you could turn it loose? What sin, what selfishness is holding you back from a closer relationship of Jesus Christ? What I want to challenge you to do right now, we're going to pray. And if you want to, in our prayer, you can just kind of open up your heart and open up your hands. And you know what some of that stuff that's holding you back, that's making you work a lot harder, and you know it's not pleasing God, but it's slowing you down from being all that you could be. And as we pray in just a moment, you can be free of that. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I ask you for a miracle. I ask you for a radical transformation to take place in the lives of the men and the women, the boys and girls who are in this room, who are off in the online watching this somewhere else on this planet. I ask that you would inspire each and every one of us. Give us hope. Give us an expectancy to be free as we celebrate the Declaration of Independence. We know that that's really our declaration of total dependence upon you that you have set us free from that which holds us back. And I ask that you'd work a miracle now in the lives of all of us here and who hear your message. Bring to our mind right now some things that we need to turn loose of. Help us to see and to remember the things that have held us back. Gossip, complaining, and a whole slew of other things lust and inordinate affections and inappropriate relations. Father, I ask that you would just work within us a freedom from greed and selfishness and stinginess and that, Lord, we would desire more and more to please you than anything on this planet because we know when we please you, all will go well. As our heads are bowed, I would ask you to join me in a simple prayer to reaffirm our faith in Christ as our Savior and our Lord, 
knowing that what he did for us, he did it out of love to take your punishment and mine. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. And that's why you sent your son Jesus. And that's why he so willingly went to the cross to take my place, to pay for my sins. And I believe that Jesus did raise from the dead on the third day. And he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open that door wide. And I welcome Jesus as my Savior, as my soon-coming King. I turn loose of all the things that are holding me back. I'm turning loose right now of all the sin that tries to keep me in the pit. I'm turning loose of it all. And I'm going to gain the high ground in my relationship with God. Please forgive me, Father, for all of my sins. And I know that you will. And as I walk from this building today, may I have that assurance that I am innocent and that I am clean on the inside. And I leave all that weight. I'll leave it behind. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You know, I cannot encourage you enough to continue this as you get home. Sometime tonight, just somewhere by yourself, maybe before you get out of your car and go in where other people would be, you just continue to talk. That's what prayer is, see. It's talking to God and letting him know how much you appreciate what he's done for you. And, and, and he's on the move every day. And as we walk in humility, we'll see that and we'll be glad. Well, if you pray to me just now, maybe for the very first time, at our connections desk back there, we have a, a little gift bag for you that's got a, a Bible and a movie and some other things that I believe would inspire you. Please stop and pick that up on your way out. It's all free. And if you're a guest, we have another gift for all of our guests. And we're so glad that you came. And we hope that you'll come back again. But if you need some prayer before you leave, there'll be folks around the, the base of these beginning of tree houses. <laughs> and there'll be folks who will pray with you. And I'm telling you, God still answers prayer. He genuinely does. So take advantage of that. And uh, let me see. Uh, if you're uh, in, interested in life groups, Mike. Kane's in the back, back over there. He's over our whole life group ministry, doing a great job. Talk to Mike about life groups, getting involved, or maybe later on, or starting one. He'll answer all your questions, and he'll help you through all that. And uh, don't forget, if, if you're willing to help us out, our Vacation Bible Adventure that starts, it's just a little over a week away, isn't that right? Wow. And we still need a lot of men and women, young men and young women, old men like me and old women like my wife. That didn't come out the way I intended it to come out. She's the love of my heart, you know. You know, 
Antiques have greater value. You know that, right? But uh, if, if you're willing to help us out, there is a place for you to help us and to serve and make a difference in the life of a child. And you know something, what we saw here tonight, what we've experienced here tonight, looking at God's Word, seeing that little cliff and all, every child, every man, every woman, every born girl needs to know how much God loves them. And that's what we work really hard at our Vacation Bible Adventure, to communicate that love to these children. And a lot of these kids didn't come up in a church. A lot of them we bust in from other places. Some of them have been in a church, but not all of them. So if, if you say, you know what, I'm willing, I'm down. Our Vacation Bible Adventure, it, it starts at 6. We'd like you to be here, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes early, but it's in the evening. So if you thought it was in the morning, this is an evening thing, and we all can serve together. And I said, we already got over 200 people, but we need about 60 more to make it work. You go, I can't believe y'all need so many people to do VBA. Well, if you've never been to one of our Vacation Bible Adventures, you come and see what happens. It is amazing. It really is. Okay, I think that's pretty much all I got to say. God bless you. You are dismissed. Oh, don't forget your uh, weekly challenge, real quick. It says, I am determined this week to shake off every negative thing that dumps on me, and I'm going to step up on it to freedom. So that's you. Check it off. Put it in the tithe box. You are dismissed.